Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Thursday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we are now well inside of 48 hours away. From the AFC Divisional Playoff, the Jaguars and the Chiefs Saturday at 4.30. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. As you can imagine, we have a ton to do tonight. Guest lineup looks like this. Coming up in about 20 minutes, my man Leon Searcy. You hear him on XL Primetime. You hear him on the fifth quarter. And you hear him here weekly with me on Hacker After Dark as we take a good hard look at the Jaguars and the Chiefs coming up this Saturday. So, Leon Searcy in 20 minutes. Coming up later on in the 8 o'clock hour, Cameron Wolf of the NFL Network. He's kind of been on the scene for the NFL Network the last couple of weeks here in Jacksonville. In fact, I actually just saw him on NFL Total Access on the NFL Network. So, Cameron Wolf will stop by to talk Jags, Trevor, Doug Peterson, and more later on in the 8 o'clock hour. At the uh, 9 o'clock hour, Mark, Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810, out in Kansas City as we get the Chiefs side of this matchup on Saturday. And finally tonight at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour, Frank Frangi, the voice of the Jaguars, as he gets ready to travel with Jeff Lagerman, Tony Baselli, Bucky Brooks, and the broadcast crew to Arrowhead to call the game on Saturday afternoon. So we are loaded. We are glad you are with us. There is a ton to get into surrounding the Jaguars and the Chiefs. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we kick it off with a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal on Hacker After Dark. Uh, It's a very big deal. There are eight teams remaining in the National Football League, and your Jacksonville Jaguars are one of the eight. You know, I brought this up briefly last night. Wanted to expand on it tonight a little bit. So, I don't know if you guys saw this. ESPN.com, I think on Monday, put a list together of the 100 most valuable players in the NFL. Most valuable meaning obviously most valuable to their team. Not what they're being paid, but the guys that have performed the best for their given teams. And as I was thinking about the Jaguars' run over the last two months, and you got to take Trevor Lawrence out of this conversation because obviously he would be hands down the answer. So if you exclude Trevor Lawrence... Who would be the most valuable player the Jaguars have had in the last, say, eight weeks? In that time span, the Jaguars have won seven out of eight. And the conclusion I came to, and again, if you want to get involved in this on the phone line, 641-1010, also on the text line, 
888-957-1010. Phone line, text line, open to you. The conclusion I came to is this. You could list a dozen guys that have a legitimate case for being the most valuable after Trevor Lawrence. Look on the offensive side of the ball. Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Zay Jones, Travis Etienne. There is literally an argument to be made for every one of those guys as the most valuable player not named Trevor Lawrence during this eight-game streak, which is what makes the Jaguar offense so dangerous. One week, it's Zay Jones. The next week, it's Travis Etienne. The week after that, it could be Christian Kirk. The week after that, it's Evan Ingram. It's not just one guy. People talk about having a number one wide receiver. I don't know if the Jaguars have a number one wide receiver or not, but I do know is this. They have four guys on offense that are a problem for opposing defenses. They have four guys on offense, three of which have had career years. Travis Etienne's the fourth guy. He's in really his first year in the league after the injury last year. And all four guys have been nothing short of sensational. Really the entire year, but especially over the last eight games. So if you're excluding Trevor, who's been most valuable? Kirk, Jones, ETN, Ingram. And heck, that's just on offense. Go to the defensive side of the ball. Foyer Aluikin has been a stud. Rayshon Jenkins has single-handedly made the game-winning play for two of the Jaguar wins over the last eight weeks. Tyson Campbell has turned into a true shutdown corner. Josh Allen is looking like the Josh Allen we all hoped he would look like all year. Arden Key has been sensational. Roy Robertson-Harris was just a guy in October, just a guy in September. He has been dominant over the last eight weeks. You could make the argument, the legitimate argument, that outside of Trevor Lawrence, if he is excluded, you got eight or 10 or 12 guys that have meant the most to this Jaguar team. Phone line's getting loaded. We'll get to you in just a moment at 641-1010. And that is why the Jaguars are where they are. It has been a collective unit. It hasn't been player A or player B or player C. It's been players D, E, F, gone down the list. Seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 different guys. And it's been fun to watch, man. It's been fun to watch. I also put a poll question up earlier. This run the Jaguars are on, seven out of eight to get into the postseason, to win the AFC South, to win a playoff game, and to be in only the divisional round of the playoffs for the fifth time in franchise history. As a Jaguar fan, is this as much fun as 2017? As 1999, as 1996, or is it better than that? Now, that's going to be a generation question, right? 
my guy in here, the pride of Denmark, it's not his fault. He wasn't alive in 96. And he was one year old in 1999. So there's perspective there. But if you're a 40-year-old guy, or I'll be 40 this year, if you're a 40-year-old guy and older, you were a teenager or a youngster in 1996. That was an unbelievable run. 99 to me almost wasn't as fun because it was expected. 99 to me, it became very apparent very quickly how good the Jaguars were, and the expectation was the Super Bowl. And when the Titans beat you in the AFC title game that year, that was pure and total devastation. So I take 99 out of the equation. 98, I didn't even put in there because that was weird. You beat Scott Zolak in the playoffs, a backup quarterback in New England. You then lost in the divisional round of the Jets. So I excluded 98. 2017 kind of feels like this. But 2017, you still had a lot of questions about big-time positions, right? People weren't sold on Blake. People weren't sold on the wide receiving core. Keep in mind, that wide receiving core in 2017 was Alan Hearns, Marquise Lee, Keelan Cole, and D.D. Westbrook. Because Alan Robinson got hurt two plays into the year. You obviously had Leonard Fournette, Blake Bortles, Mercedes Lewis. The defense was unbelievable. But I just get the sense that the ride in 17, although it was great and it was fun, there were still a lot of questions about the future of that team. To me, 2022 is much like 1996. Because 1996, the Jaguars were probably a year ahead of where they were supposed to be. They were the Cinderella team of the playoffs, and you knew that regardless of what happened, it was built for the next five years. That's the feeling I get with this team. No matter what happens in Kansas City on Saturday, Trevor Lawrence isn't going anywhere. Travis Etienne, Christian Kirk, the foundation's not going anywhere. Evan Ingram's a free agent, but look, at this point, that's he's not going anywhere. You're going to have to figure that out, whether it's the franchise tag or whatever. Evan Ingram's got to be a part of this team. Zay Jones is under contract. You bring in Calvin Ridley. That's why, to me, of all the runs in the playoffs, the run the Jaguars are on now is very similar to the run they were on in 1996. 641-1010 is the phone number. If you want to get involved, we normally don't take calls in the first segment, but what the heck, we got loaded phone lines. Let's get to you right now. Let's head out to the beach. Let's get Ted in here on Hacker After Dark. Ted, go ahead. Hey, Hack. Hey, man, I think um, I think Evan Ingram, man, because he gives us a third option that we haven't really had over the last few years. I mean, he's able to hit the flats. He's able to hit the middle of the field. And as good as Dave Jones and Kirk have been, I think Evan Ingram is the most valuable right now over the trouble. Hey, Ted, appreciate the phone call. I Look, I would give Evan Ingram a long, hard look at that answer. Again, seven out of eight. When did this start? It started right around Thanksgiving, right? That win over Baltimore. 
excluding Trevor, you could absolutely make the case that Evan Ingram, you could make the case Evan Ingram's been a top five, maybe a top three tight end in the National Football League. And that's not laughable. People would have to listen to that. Look at his numbers. Look at his yards after catch. That's the thing about Ingram. Not only is he making ridiculous catches, but he's turning up the field and gaining a ton of yards. He's hard to bring down. And Evan Ingram made one of the three or four biggest plays of the year when he got out of bounds against Dallas to save the Jaguars that time out. On the stat sheet, that was a six-yard catch. In reality, it was one of the biggest plays of the Jaguars season. To the west side we go. Let's get Josh in here. On Hacker After Dark, Josh, what do you got? Yes, sir. How we doing, Hack? Josh, what's going on, man? Hey, uh, I just wanted to call and say, you know, I was at the game. It's the first game I've attended in about six years, man. Uh, last one that I've seen was uh, the Raiders, and we got annihilated. That was in uh, 2016. I can't recall the score, but it was like 42-17, something of that nature. But I told myself when I left that building, I would not come back until they were relevant. And I've kind of just stood by and watched all season long. All these special moments happen, and I've regretted that I haven't been there for any of them. But, uh, you know, I kind of I know I redeemed myself Saturday because I was there, man. And, you know, I just I couldn't believe the way that they were able to pull it out. It was just so unbelievable. And I think that the way that they did it is being kind of undersold in a way nationally. And, uh, you know, as far as the runs in the playoffs, you know, just to make a comment to your uh, to what you're what you're getting at. it is a lot like 96, but we didn't – I don't believe that we had as prolific of an offense then as we do now. I mean, if you kind of look at the statistics, Mark Brunel only threw about 20 touchdowns that year, if I recall, and that was the most he ever threw in a single season. And, you know, Trevor Lawrence has proven himself to be like elite elite and up there with the top five, unlike Mark Brunel, who never seemed to get the respect or the credit to get in there. Hey, Josh, thank you for the phone call. You make a good point. In 1996, we didn't know what we had yet. We didn't know what Jimmy Smith was going to turn into. We didn't know what Keaton McCardell was going to turn into. So I absolutely agree with that. He made a comment about the national narrative, not getting the national respect. And I'm going I'm to tie that together with that 1996 run. So... I've found myself watching more of Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless in the last couple of weeks. I mean, they never talk about the Jaguars. I mean, ever. And and why would you? The Jaguars have been awful for years. But now they're being forced to talk about the Jaguars because of the run the Jaguars are making. But today I was reminded why I don't enjoy watching Shannon Sharp, particularly him, and Skip Bayless. Shannon Sharp was responding to Trevor Lawrence's comment. By the way, this whole thing that Trevor said, what was it, on Tuesday, I guess, he called Arrowhead Stadium one of, if not the best environments in the NFL. But then he said that he can't imagine it being much louder than it was here in Jacksonville on Saturday night. That was all he said. While he called it one of the best environments in the NFL, people don't even talk about that, 
But everybody's up in arms. How can you say that about Arrowhead? What do you mean it's only going to be louder than Jacksonville was on Saturday night? Just a little louder. Listen to what Shannon Sharp said earlier today. I mean, it's, it's, it's inbounds. That's the way he feels, Skip, but he undercut his own argument because he said, well, you know, um, that was when we were on, we didn't have the ball in the crowd. That was on the other way around. This time it's going to be we have the ball trying to hear. Uh, Jacksonville, what do you think they have? 50,000 fans? It'll probably be close to 80,000 at Arrowhead. And be, being in that division for 12 years is one of the loudest stadiums that I've ever played. It'll probably be loudest next to my hotel. Arrowhead? Really? With y'all little 42,000 fans in the swimming pool? Man, you better stop it. Mm. Shannon Sharp. So, basically, he said, what do we have, 50,000? And then at the end, he said, what do you have, your 42,000 fans and the swimming pool? Really? <laughs> uh, I guess Shannon is still upset about January 4th, 1997. Did I ever tell you about my back and forth with Shannon Sharp on Twitter, Denmark? No, I did not hear this. Uh, this goes back a couple of years. I had said something. It was the anniversary of Jacksonville going to mile high and beating them. And I had said something on Twitter about the anniversary and Shannon Sharp like responded to me. And, uh, you know, we got in kind of a back and forth and I invited him to come on the airwaves here in Jacksonville. And he obviously declined. Uh, I'll send out a tweet to him right now, inviting him to come on the airwaves and talk about his little 42,000 comment. That's what they think of us. That's what they think of you. And it's um, it's not even worth really getting mad about any longer. You just hope Saturday that Trevor and the boys go to Kansas City and, you know, surprise some people and then the narrative changes. But, you know, when Shannon Sharp says stuff like that, people believe it. That's why Jacksonville has the narrative that it has around the league, around the country. It's because people that don't know any better watch Shannon Sharp say that kind of nonsense. And it was just a nice reminder of why I very, very rarely watch that show. Um, Yeah, so there you go. But, again, Jacksonville has an opportunity, a big opportunity, to surprise a lot of people on Saturday just like they did when they beat Shannon Sharp and the Denver Broncos back on January the 4th, 1997. If you're on the phone lines, we'll get to you. Coming up next, Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on XL Primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Actually, before we get there, Denmark, we got a little breaking news in the world of sports this evening. This just on Hacker After Dark. So the Kermani McLean saga is over. The five-star cornerback from Lakeland, where was he going to go? He had committed to Miami. He left Florida at the altar. And then on National Signing Day, he did not stick with Miami. He did not sign anywhere. Well, he's on his way to Boulder, Colorado. Deion Sanders gets the number one cornerback in the country as Cormani McLean flips from Miami to Colorado. He has just announced that in the last few minutes. With Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. Phone lines are loaded. We'll get to you in a moment. Leon Searcy, also of XL Primetime, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's next. It's a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark. 
here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. 25 minutes after the 8 o'clock hour. Glad you're with us. Leon Searcy coming up less than five minutes from now. 641-1010 is the phone number. Want to squeeze a couple more calls in. Again, Jaguars, the last eight weeks, they've won seven out of eight, excluding Trevor Lawrence because he's the obvious answer. Who has been the most valuable Jaguar? I made the argument you could probably say eight or ten or even a dozen guys have a legit case for it. And this run they're on, this magical run, seven out of eight to get to where they are, what does it feel like? Does it feel like 2017? Does it feel like 1999? Does it feel like 1996? Or is it better than all those? To the phone lines we go. Let's get Andrew in here on 1010XL. Andrew, go ahead. Hey, how's it going? Andrew, how are you, man? Great. So far, so good. I love the defense. They have come around. And I, you know, I think that the offense will do better and better as they go along. But the one issue that I have is, like, I think Trent Baalke has picked up a lot of good people. He did not do well in San Francisco, but I think it was the San Francisco staff and the owners that stopped him. Everybody needs a second chance. And I think he has done a well job here in Jacksonville. And I'll take it from you from there. Andrew, thank you. Yeah, look, we did it last week. The apology to Trent Balky. I was wrong about Trent Balky, and it's okay to admit you're wrong. I'll tell you another thing, too. Got to go quick here, but Byron Leftwich was fired today in Tampa as their offensive coordinator. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you Byron Leftwich is not a great coach. And I'm not sitting here telling you that Byron Leftwich, it was all his fault what happened in Tampa. Was he the scapegoat? Was he the, the fall guy? Yeah, maybe. But there were a lot of people here last year in Jacksonville, Florida, that wanted Byron Leftwich instead of Doug Peterson. A lot of you. And... It's okay to admit you were wrong. There was a lot of you, I'll include myself, a lot of us that were wrong about Trent Baalke last year. And guess what? There was a lot of us that were wrong about Doug Peterson. For anybody that wanted Byron instead of Doug Peterson, you were wrong. That's nothing against Byron Leftwich. I got hammered on social media for that tweet today. I'm not saying anything negative about Byron. He might have come in and done a good job too. We'll never know. We know that Doug Peterson has come in and completely turned this thing around. Doug Peterson's done a masterful job. And I'm just thankful that that's the direction they went. Because when those hires were made last year, Balky retained and Peterson hired, be honest with yourselves, a lot of you weren't happy about that at the time. I think you probably have a pr- pretty different uh, thought process on that right now. Let's get Stephen and Mandarin up here on Hacker After Dark. Stephen, go ahead. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Hacker. So, you know, everything just kind of hit me today, and I realized it's just, I know we're two games away from a Super Bowl. I'm not trying to go there, but how can you not go there with everything that's happening? 
this team reminds me, and I was doing a little kind of historical research on the 2007 Giants today. I'm not a Giants fan, but it, it, it seems like it's a team that took down the evil empire of the New England Patriots. We're going into a team that we can take them down, and we can say that this was like the 2017 Jags or 1996. This is, this is going to be the story, the great story of the 2022 Jacksonville Jaguars that people are going to talk about forever. That's the feeling I've got this whole thing. It's going to be a story that's going to become a 30 for 30 ESPN plus documentary. Peyton's places will come here to do interview Doug Peterson about it. I, I just know it's going to happen. And it, it's everything hit me today in such a way that I think this is going to rock our city in a big way in like two days from now. Steven, I hope you're right. We're doing the fifth quarter Saturday night after the Jaguars and the Chiefs and what a fifth quarter that would be. I'll tell you what they're saying in Kansas City. We're going to go out to Kansas City in the nine o'clock hour. Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810, not necessarily him, but other media outlets out there that I've talked to are asking me flat out, can the Jaguars keep it close? Not can the Jaguars win. Can the Jaguars keep it close? The Chiefs have an advantage every single position on the field. That's what they think. We'll see. Let's get one more call in here. Leon Searcy, two minutes away. Saqib, final call of this segment. What's going on, brother? What's up, man? How are you? Good. How are you, buddy? You know, I, I moved to Keystone Heights about a month ago. I wear Jaguars, different Jaguars jerseys, T-shirts every day. I go to grocery stores. I have never, ever, you know me, Hacker, for a long time. I've never gotten more Go Jags. I can't wait for us to win this week. I have never gotten that before. Not even in Jacksonville. Okay, I've never gotten Keystone Heights. We're representing Duval County. We can't, I can't wait to, to win this week. And you know me, Hacker, for a long time. And I'm, ex, I'm more excited about this week's game than I was in 2017. I'm nervous. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm very nervous. But I'm excited for this team to finally start winning and have the right coach. And I just cannot wait till Saturday till we win until I hear you and Leon, So I hear Mike Dempsey, so I hear all of the guys Man. Hey, Saqib, thank you. That It'll be something if they go out there and win. There is no, no doubt about that. Let's talk to a man that knows all about playing big-time football games for the Jacksonville Jaguars. You hear him on XL Primetime. He's my co-host on the fifth quarter, my buddy Leon Searcy right now on Hacker After Dark. No. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chiefs, Saturday, 4.30. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's talk to a man that knows all about big-time playoff games. He's played a lot of them in a Jaguar uniform, also played in a Super Bowl in a Pittsburgh Steeler uniform. That's my buddy Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on XL Primetime, and he's always kind enough to join us weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how we doing, man? No, I'm, I'm, we still here, bro. We still here. Leon, it, it's amazing. And you and I, it feels like a week ago that we did the fifth quarter. It was only a couple of days ago in actuality after the uh, the Chargers game. You've had a couple of days to digest that. Um, can you believe that happened? Uh, no. I've, I've, I've played football high school, collegiately, and professionally 
over 17 years of football I've played, and I've never, me personally, I've never had the pleasure of experiencing uh, the euphoria of coming back from 27 down and winning a football game. It was absolutely amazing, astonishing what this Jacksonville Jaguar team did this past Saturday. And my hat goes off to the coaching staff, goes off to the fans, and definitely goes off to those players who pulled this thing off. Leon, one of the questions I'm getting, was it a Chargers collapse? Was it the Jaguars winning the game? Was it a mixture of both? How would you assess it? Well, I mean, you can't say it was a Chargers collapse because there's nowhere in the game where you can pinpoint. And I'm going back and watch the film. You can nowhere in the game you can pinpoint and say, well, a Charger turnover here, uh, a miscue there, a fumble there. I mean, the Chargers, uh, they didn't have any miscues. That defense just got them out of, got them into situations where they had to punt the ball back to us. And then offensively, uh, we took advantage of the, the, the time we had with our possessions, and we made sure that when we had the ball that we scored points. So, I mean, there was no collapse. There was nothing where the Chargers could say, well, you know, we, you know, we, tur- we turned the ball over five times, Hat, five times, minus five in turnovers, and won the game. I don't think that's ever happened in NFL history where we were behind the eight ball five times in turnovers and came back 27 down and won the game. Former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle Leon Searcy here with us on Hacker After Dark. Leon, what does it say about Trevor Lawrence, a 23-year-old quarterback starting his first playoff game, four interceptions in the first half, and then to do what he did in the final 32 minutes of that game was just, to me, extraordinary. What was your take on it? Absolutely. I mean, the kid didn't flinch. Uh, you know, early on, maybe early on in his career, uh, maybe last year, a little bit this year, uh, we were concerned that Trevor didn't show any emotions. You know, he wasn't he wasn't up when he was playing good or down. Uh, he was kind of even killed, and a lot, there was a lot of the fan base that were kind of uh, distraught that the fact that Trevor really didn't show any emotions. But that's his game. I mean, he is just. I mean, we, 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 he's just even keel, and he's poised, and he doesn't flinch uh, when he's in bad situations. And, and you want that from your quarterback. You want that from your leader. You don't want your leader to wobble and, and let situations uh, uh, transcend his emotions. Uh, Trevor was just determined to get this team back on his feet in that second half, and he did. I mean, he, he maneuvered this team with some hell of fine passes. The offensive line provided the, the, the adequate protection from them. ATN ran the ball well. I mean, that's no easy task. Uh, that's no easy task what Trevor did. I don't want anybody to short-circuit the fact that this what this kid did, down 27, nothing, was nothing short of, uh, of miraculous. And, Leon, to that point, now I don't think many people have brought this up this week. You know, down 27, nothing. The Chargers know you got to throw the ball. That's Khalil Mack over there. That's Joey Bosa over there. That's Kyle Van Noy over there. Derwin James, Kenneth Murray. We, we know all the names. 
And by and large, Trevor had a lot of time. Was there a sack or two? Yeah, but that's going to happen when you have to throw it essentially every play down four touchdowns. I thought the offensive line, though, in totality, did an outstanding job last week. Yeah, they did. They they did a, they did a, they did an outstanding job. And, you know, especially the the, the, uh, the tackles. I mean, I was going into the game concerned um, about Walker Little and Jawan Taylor because you know that, that, that's that's Bosa. You know, that's that's Khalil Mack. You're you're talking about uh, that's got to be if not a hundred or half a hundred of sacks between the two of them career wise. And um, I just say that they've got to be able to neutralize these two guys. If we're going to give Trevor any kind of time um, um, to get to the ball. Now, don't get me wrong. They got pressure every now and then. Um, but they no, 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 no situation where Trevor were felt uncomfortable passing the ball. You know, he's going to get hit. He's going to get rattled a little bit. But I think for the most part, the Walker Little and Juwan Taylor did an outstanding job in protection, keeping those guys wide not getting beat inside, being physical with their hands, sinking their hips, finishing the guys. I mean, the, you, you're going to need that. Uh, you're going to need that moving forward. You're going to need your offensive line to be solid interiorly and outside to give Trevor the pocket that he needs uh, to move and maneuver and get those passes down to our wide receivers. A couple of more for former Jaguar Pro Bowl offensive tackle, Leon Cersei. Leon, the so what, now what? mentality we've talked about it all year but it was the third largest comeback in the history of the NFL playoffs how hard do you think it's been this week for the Jaguars to essentially flush that game and move on to a very very tall task this weekend going to Arrowhead well you know um I think Doug Peterson the coaching staff does an outstanding job of getting this team refocused after a big win um I was a little concerned, especially in the first half, that, you know, maybe the Jaguars had played their Super Bowl against the Titans. And maybe that's the reason why they came out so flat in the first half. And I was saying to myself, oh, boy, this team doesn't know how to handle prosperity. This is going to be an ugly one. But they came back out in the second half, a little bit more poise, a little bit more confidence, and um, they executed well. Uh, and, and then that was the key on both sides of the ball. Uh, so I think Doug Peterson – uh, is going to uh, refresh this team's mind about, you know, starting slow in the first half of last week's game and doing something preparation-wise to kind of get the juices flowing because you're going up against a Kansas City Chief team that can score a lot of points. You know, they're one of the, the, the league leaders and um, are scoring points per game. But also, they give up a lot of points defensively, especially in the air. So, I mean, um, it's a double-edged sword. You, you're going to have to go – you're going to have to go bucket for bucket uh, in this game. It's, it's, I think it's going to be a shootout. I think the first one to 30 wins. Um, but if you look at the way we played them uh, in, what was it, week 10, when we played the, the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, we lost 27-17, to 17, but we, lost, we left a lot of opportunities out there that we could have scored points. I mean, Christian Kirk drops the ball uh, on the first series after the surprise onside. You know, Cam Robertson's in the end zone when a touchdown was called back. Uh, we got two turnovers. We missed two field goals. I mean, so, I mean, this team knows that um, if they play their best ball against Kansas City, um, they should win. 
And, and that's got to be the approach this week is that we're going to play fall, flawless. All the pressure's on you, not us. You're the team. You're the team to beat in the AFC. So you've got to go out and shine the way you shine. Uh, there's no pressure on us. No one's expecting us to do anything. So they've got to live up to the number one seed. And, you know, we're just happy to be at the party. You know, clearly, Leon, the crowd has been on the Jaguar side against Tennessee, against Los Angeles, and the crowd was a big factor here in Jacksonville for those two games. Now they're going to Arrowhead. You have played in that stadium. It is one of the loudest environments you can imagine. I think it does help the Jaguars that they played there in November, but obviously it'll be ratcheted up a bit. What's the advice you would give to this young Jaguar team going into that sort of environment on Saturday afternoon? Well, I mean, um, first of all, you, you've, got, you've got to start fast. Uh, you've got to ride the wave. Uh, they're gonna try to. They're gonna try to. It's gonna be like a heavyweight fight. They're gonna try to knock you out. They're gonna throw a bunch of haymakers at you, uh, and, and try to get you out the game early. Uh, but you just gotta ride the wave. Uh, you got. You've got to play your game. You got to play smart, physical, uh, execution-wise football, and um, don't be your worst enemy. You know, don't 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 create any self-inflicting wounds. That's going to put you down 10, 14, 21 points and make it a fist fight. I mean, um, to the very end, I always say this hat, give yourself a puncher's chance in the fourth quarter. What I mean by puncher's chance, I mean, make it a seven, seven point, three point game in the fourth quarter. And then this, and let's make it a battle to the end. If you can do that on the road, in a hostile environment, uh, you've got a shot to win the game. And then all the pressure's on to Kansas City. If you go into the game in the fourth quarter and the Jaguars are up 24 to 20, uh, the, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to pack. They, because everybody's telling them that they're going to wipe that they're going to wipe the floor with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But if the Jacksonville Jaguars are still there in the fourth, and all the pressures on KC to seal the deal, being the number one seed. Final moments here with Leon Searcy. Leon, Rayshon Jenkins <clears throat> made the cockroach comment earlier this week. The Jaguars are like cockroaches, right? They can't be killed. And you look at it, and it's it's no longer a trend, right? I mean, this is who they are. Down 17 to Las Vegas, they come back and win. Down 17 to Dallas, they come back and win. Down 10 to Tennessee, they come back and win down 27 to the Chargers, they come back and win. And I think, look, if the Chiefs go up early, you're going to have to mentally know as a player, obviously, and we're talking directly to the fans, don't panic early because that's who these Jaguars are. They come from behind. They've done it time after time after time. Yeah, I'm um... – I, 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 like, I like that scenario that they come back time after time after time. But, you know, even Cinderella, the strike of 12, turned into a pumpkin. Agreed. And, and, just, and it's a different animal and, on the road. I get that. And, and I'm just saying that, you know, I mean, I love the way this team perseveres. I love this way this team never gives up. I love this way this team fights to the very end. But this is playoff time, and they proved me wrong last week, down 27. Um, but Kansas City is a different beast. 
So uh, I would rather them be up 10 or up 14 or then to be down 20, 21 to Kansas City. So I, I want this team to start fast. <clears throat> I want this team to be flawless in their execution and their protections. And I want them to seem to be tough up front, especially in between the trenches. Um, so <clears throat> I'm hoping for the, uh, not the latter, not coming back late. I would rather this team start fast and then finish fast. All right, Leon, what are you thinking? Saturday, 4.30, Arrowhead, Jaguars and the Chiefs, winner of the AFC Championship game. Your thoughts? Pat, I've got the score, 30 to 24, Jacksonville. <laughs> you think Jacksonville's going to go in there and win, huh? I do, Pat. I do, and you're going to. And, and, and when, when I see you at the fifth quarter, uh, and we, I, I'm going to just have a smile on my face. I, I, I I'm seriously believe that this team is going to go and shake up the world, shock the world, and they're going to go into KC and upset the mighty Kansas City Chiefs at their house. And the AFC Championship game is going to be Buffalo versus the, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't think that's crazy. I mean, at this point, how can you doubt anything the Jaguars do? They've proven us all wrong time after time after time. That is Leon Searcy. You will get him, myself, and the head coach, Dave Campo, on the fifth quarter, two hours after the Jaguars and the Chiefs go final. Leon, let's have a great game, and I will see you Saturday night for the fifth quarter there at 1010XL. You got it, bro. Always enjoy Leon Searcy for hopping on here. On Hacker After Dark, you heard the man. He likes Jacksonville 30-24, to 24, and good grief. If that were to happen, what a fifth quarter that would be on Saturday night. As always, Jacksonville, we are streaming for your viewing pleasure on YouTube. Search 1010XL on YouTube. You'll see Hacker After Dark there until 10 o'clock tonight. Likewise, on Twitter, at 1010XL on Twitter, you'll see the show there until 10 o'clock. This evening with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you, Cameron Wolf of the NFL Network. Actually, just saw Cameron on Total Access not that long ago. He's been basically uh, here in Jacksonville the last couple of weeks with the Jaguars as a part of the NFL Network's coverage. We'll talk to him next about Doug Peterson, Trevor Lawrence, and this matchup on Saturday at Arrowhead against the Chiefs. It is a Thursday night edition of Hacker After Dark, and you got it right here. On 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chiefs, Saturday at 430. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. Let's talk to a man that we had on back during training camp. And now here we are all these months later, and the Jaguars are still remaining as one of the final eight teams in the National Football League. He is Cameron Wolf of the NFL Network, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Cameron, how you doing? I'm good, man. How you feeling? Cameron, we're good. We're good. What a run for this Jaguar football team. I know you were in the building last Saturday. I know you had a chance to talk to Trevor Lawrence right after that amazing comeback. Cameron, from your perspective, how do you 
summarize what we saw last week between Jacksonville and L.A.? I think uh, it felt like a miracle, right? I think you're looking at a, a team where, you know, they are on a wave. They're on a run right now. And, you know, they're really just riding the wave. They're soaking it up. I mean, just be real. A lot of people saw that 27 nothing deficit and, you know, you thought, hey, man, good season. You know, they, they did better than expected. You know, we'll get them next year. And you see your quarterback, the guy who, um, you know, a lot of people here probably thought, hey, this is going to be our guy. But now you get it seen in a playoff setting and a big matchup against a team that has their own franchise quarterback. I think it just creates a buzz that not only is this a fun run we want to continue now, but that this is the start of really the beginning of what could be something special for a long time. Cameron, you were here in Jacksonville during training camp. I remember we had you on as you were making the rounds as the NFL Network, uh, the tours that you guys do to all the training camps. And when you were here in July, when you talked to Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence, did you get a vibe back then that they think they might have something this year? Oh, yeah, I did, man. The first thing I noticed in training camp was guys were happier. And it's really simple to say, but I had been here in 2021 when Urban was here. And guys, you know, it just kind of felt a little sluggish. And this year, everybody was smiling. You know, there was a, a, a pep in everyone's step. And I remember talking. It's funny. I was just joking with them in the locker room today. But I remember talking to one of their offensive linemen, uh, Tyler Shatley. And he just kind of described in a very uh, offensive lineman way just kind of why he loved Doug Peterson. He talked about just how how much joy he saw in him and how he could literally see it on the field. And he just kind of discussed really how much he treated everyone else with the sort of respect and the level of, uh, of, of really respect that they didn't have in the previous year. And so then I realized, hey, this team's already in a better state than they were last year. But I'd be lying to you if I thought, hey, this team's going to be playing the divisional round of the playoff against the Chiefs for the chance to go to the AFC Championship game. Cameron Wolf of the NFL Network here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Yeah, Cameron, I mean, back on Thanksgiving, they're 3-7. and seven. They're then 4-8, and eight, and they've rattled off six in a row to get to this point. Uh, Doug Peterson, I, I know it sounds kind of juvenile, but I can't tell you how refreshing it is here in Jacksonville to see offensive plays being called where guys are actually open down the field. Or better yet, when they catch the ball, they turn up field and get extra yardage or the running game. That actually works. We just haven't seen a whole lot of that here in recent years. And as great a job as Doug Peterson has done off the field with reestablishing the culture in that locker room, my goodness, some of the play calling he has done this year has just been top notch. Yeah, man, that's what, you know, Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl with Philly, and he was really a quarterback whisperer for Carson Wentz. I mean, we're seeing what Carson Wentz is doing this stage. You know, Peterson got him to play at MVP level. And now he's getting the most out of Trevor Lawrence. You see his aggressiveness, you know, his ability to go for it on fourth down in situations where not a lot of people go for it. You know, that two-point conversion last week where he goes for it, where people were like, why is he going for this two-point conversion? That, that's a Doug Peterson experience. He's fearless. Um, and really the team embodies who he is as a coach. And really it's not only him. I mean, Press Taylor, you know, the offensive coordinator is a big part of what they do scheme-wise. And I just know – based on talking to players in the locker room, just how, how much fun that system is to play in. And that makes it easier um, for an offense if you're enjoying what's called just as much as you're being successful in doing it. And so you're seeing, you mentioned it, you're seeing the receivers get open. That was a big issue last year, lack of separation, guys not running the right routes. or and They're very detailed, but they're also having fun 
with uh, how they're playing offensive football here. And Cameron, I'll give a lot of credit to Trent Balky too. I know he was kind of raked over the coals a little bit last year by the fan base. They were angry at the direction of the organization. But in, in the job he has done, you look at that free agent class, all the guys that he brought in last year, and he got criticized for some of them with the money they were handing out. But every one of those guys, from Kirk to Ingram to Jones to Aluikin, Fadakasi, Darius Williams, Scherf, you name it, those guys have been vital. Not just guys on the roster, but vital pieces to what the Jaguars have accomplished this year. Nah, I think you're right on the money. In fact, I was just talking to someone today about that. You know, even if you just started in the receiving world, think about the guys they signed. Christian Kirk, um, that that four-year, $82 million deal, or $72 million deal. I remember being um, on TV when I heard it, and all the reaction is, how could you pay Christian Kirk that much money, right? And, you know, he has a career year. Same for Zay Jones, $8 million a year. He has a career year. Evan Ingram. They were talking about he was a bust in New York, and now he's looking like, you know, one of the better tight ends in the league. And I think that's a credit to, like you said, Trey Balky signing these players, but also, you know, identifying who fits in this system. That's an underrated element of team building. You know, certain guys fit better in certain schemes, and all these guys have been perfect fits here in Jacksonville. And the other part of it is they, they've been selfless, you know. This is an offense that, although Christian Kirk is the leading receiver, there's not necessarily a, a one guy who you go to the ball at any point. You know, on a given su Sunday or Saturday, in this case, you know, you could see Evan Ingram being the number one. You could see Christian Kirk being the number one, Zay Jones being the number one, even Marvin Jones from time to time. And I think because of that, it makes him harder to defend. And it also makes Trevor Lawrence more dangerous as a passer because you can't say, hey, we're going to take Christian out out of the game, and then we're going to slow them down. It doesn't work that way. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of credit given to how they've built this team. And, and for the first time in a long time, I think the talent here um, is representative for their success. I think they are just building a young core to get behind. And like I mentioned at the top of this hit, I think there's a feeling in the locker room that, yes, we want to get as far as we can this year, but we're going to be here for a while. This isn't just a one-year wonder. Final moments here with Cameron Wolf of the NFL Network. Cameron, Trevor Lawrence, your assessment of him and kind of where he stacks right now among the better quarterbacks in the AFC. I mean, right now he's one of the four standing, right? Um, I think I think you look at Trevor and what he's done over the second half of the year, I think he's released any doubts, if there were any doubts. I don't know if there were, but there were any doubts about whether he's Jacksonville's franchise quarterback. He's quieted those up. And I think the way he came back last week for the game this, you know, against the Chargers shows that he deserves to be mentioned in that mix. You know, maybe not at Mahomes level yet, but when you talk about guys like Justin Herbert, when you talk about guys like, you know, Lamar and, and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow, like Lawrence should start to get his name in that mix. I don't know where you rank him. You know, maybe he has to do it for a little bit more time before he can eclipse a Josh Allen or eclipse a Joe Burrow. But, you know, before the year, people would have thought you were crazy to mention Trevor Lawrence with those guys' name. And I think this year you're crazy if you don't. Cameron, I know you've been around this team for the last uh, couple of weeks, following them for the NFL Network. I've certainly enjoyed your coverage there. Well, what's your thought? What's the vibe you're getting in the locker room about the trip to Arrowhead and to play Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, I'll paint you this scene. I just left the locker room probably about two hours ago, and the last thing I saw was Trevor Lawrence, his two backup quarterbacks, and his kicker playing an intense doubles game of ping pong <laughs> in the locker room. And, and Josh Allen, the linebacker, got out of the shower. He, he walked up to me, and he's commentating this ping pong matchup to me, talking about how Trevor's hitting the serve and how Riley Patterson's hitting the serve. 
And, and I just noticed how loose this team looks. You know, I don't know how it's going to go Saturday. Maybe they maybe they lose, maybe they win. But I do know this team um, feels like they belong here, and it's not the moment's not too big for them. You know, a lot of times a young team, this is their second playoff game in the Lawrence era. You wonder, hey, is the Magic just going to run out? I haven't got the feel that this team is running out of steam, and I haven't got the, the feel that this team is feeling any pressure. And so regardless of the result, I think they'll come out and be ready to play uh, on Saturday. Cameron Wolf of the NFL Network. Cameron, always appreciate the time, man. Thank you as always. We'll talk again soon. Appreciate it. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chiefs. Saturday, 4.30. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL as the Jaguars, for the first time in five years, return to the AFC Divisional Playoffs. Let's head out to Kansas City. My buddy, Seren Petro. You hear him on Sports Radio 810 in the Kansas City area, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Seren, how we doing? I'm doing well, Ryan. It's uh, it's great to be on with you, buddy. How are you? Saran, we're good. All right, so take us back last week, Saturday night. I imagine a lot of Chiefs fans might have gone to bed thinking, well, the Chargers are probably coming in. They wake up Sunday morning to find out the Jaguars pull off the third biggest comeback in NFL postseason history. What's been the uh, reaction, I guess, out there in Kansas City about what the Jaguars did and about the matchup here on Saturday? Well, no offense uh, to, uh, to to Jaguar fans, but the first reaction was Chargers going to Charger. Uh, that the ones that stayed up for the game. You mentioned not staying up for the game. Tim Grunhard, who was a Pro Bowl center for the Chiefs and does stuff with me, uh, literally did go to bed at twenty-seven nothing, and he woke up to his wife going, "You know, the Jaguars won." He's like, "Shut up!" <laughs> so that is that that actually did happen. There were there were fans and even people that get paid to be analysts. That are like, okay, I don't need to watch any more of this. We've seen the Chargers a million times. We don't we're prepping for on this one, so I'm out. So, uh, look, I think I tweeted at one point, I can't even get the joke out fast enough before the Jaguars make another mistake. Uh, that was one of my tweets in the uh, first half. And to see Trevor Lawrence and the Jags circle the wagons and come back against uh, the come back the way they did, uh, it was amazing. It was really impressive, and, and I think it's something that certainly uh, made me. I don't know that'll be. It could be a negative because it certainly will catch the Chiefs' attention. Any thought that this team couldn't, you know, be explosive, couldn't put a lot of points up in a hurry, uh, went away with that comeback. You know, it's interesting uh, from our vantage point. The last time the Jaguars were in Kansas City was Week Ten. They left the field at Arrowhead at three and seven. Never in our wildest imagination did we expect Jacksonville would return to Arrowhead about two months and change later in the AFC Divisional Playoff. The Jaguars are 7-1 and one since that game at Arrowhead. And the Chiefs, by the way, have been unbelievable too since Week 10. Since the last time the Jaguars saw the Chiefs surrender, what's been the uh, thought in Kansas City? How has this season gone for you guys? You know, I, I think it's been, listen, it's, it's a different grading scale uh, in Kansas City, and, and certainly the fans have become spoiled since 2018. They played in four straight conference championship games, won two conference titles, a Super Bowl, uh, lost another Super Bowl that they very easily excuse away because uh, all of their offensive linemen, four of their five offensive linemen, uh, starting offensive linemen were down and guys were moved around, even backups were moved around from where they're supposed to play. So that was always kind of this mulligan that even though they got just pasted by the Bucks. Uh, Chiefs fans still feel like, well, that was just, we got unlucky in that one. So you're talking about a fan base that feels like, 
you know, they, they really ought to be two-time champions. They feel like they should have been in the Super Bowl. D. Ford in 2018 jumped off sides uh, after they had the game clinched against the Patriots. They had an interception that would have beaten them, or they'd have been in the Super Bowl that year. That's another one they think they deserve. Last year, they can't figure out what happened in the second half, but they had the Bengals way down in the AFC Championship game. So it's a very entitled fan base. So I, I can't tell you that – you know, they're all giddy. Uh, there's frustrations about going to overtime with the Houston Texans, the Denver Broncos, uh, being close games with the Broncos. The Raider win, which was a solid beginning-to-end win, uh, going up against a quarterback that had stepped in. The team seemed to come to life uh, around the backup quarterback once they went away from Derek Carr and had a big game against a really good 49er defense the week before. That seemed to settle a lot of people's nerves, and I think the feeling is that this is the time of year that this team was waiting for. There's maybe a sense that uh, the regular season has become a little bit boring because they're going to be measured no matter what they do they'll be measured by what they do in the postseason and I think there's a hope that the Chiefs are going to go to another level now that they get the uh, get their chance to get on the field in the playoffs. Seren Petro Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Seren the last time the Jaguars saw Kansas City that was the debut of Kadarius Toney he actually scored a touchdown in that game we're obviously very familiar with Kadarius Tony from his time here at the University of Florida. How has Tony worked into the offense, and what do you think his role is going to be on Saturday? You know, he immediately got hurt right after that game. So that, that was the game. It's like, oh, wow. They, they, now they've, they've got a guy that, like, maybe he's not Tyreek Hill, but he's going to bring a lot of that explosion back to the uh, offense. And, and you know, it, it's – they, they, what's amazing is they, they've got more passing yards this year. They're, they're, they've scored more points. They're a higher-ranked offense this year than they were with Tyreek Hill. But they've never, and it doesn't look like they're still going to have all of their wide receivers out there. They started the year healthy, but Kadarius Tony, of course, wasn't on the team. They acquired him. He went out with a hamstring injury, which was a recurring theme with the uh, Giants. McCole Harbin's been out for a long time. They activated him after 21 days of practice. Uh, he didn't uh, wasn't active in the final uh, regular season game, which he which he was you know act, on the active roster. But they sat him down. Now we get to you know here almost two weeks later, and they held him out of practice yesterday. So they Chiefs have been dreaming about getting Tony and Hardman out there, right? Two guys that are speed guys that can really do some things. Uh, but they, you know Juju Smith Schuster has been out of the lineup as he usually is at times. So they're really hoping this is where you could, you were going to see it all, and we could see how Kadarius Tony fits into the the framework of things, but uh, that's, I don't think going to happen because I don't think McCole Hardman is going to play in this game either. We'll find out more here, uh, you know, over the next couple of days, but you know, Tony looks explosive. The fans are really excited. He's already a fan favorite. The stop start ability uh, is fantastic. His toughness, he runs with a lot of physicality. He doesn't just go down. It's not flag football with him when he gets the ball, the fans love him. I will say this. If you dig a little deeper, I'm yet to see much of a route tree. It's a lot of bubble screens. It's a lot of shovel handoffs. Um, you know, I think, which, listen, he came in midseason, so how much of the offense can he get to know? But I, I think hopefully there's a lot more potential to be untapped uh, that they haven't gotten to yet, that they will in time. But uh, this is a game with no McCole Hardman, and, and this is the time of year that they really need Kadarius Tony to make some big plays for him. Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Obviously, that offense, Seren, starts with Patrick Mahomes, has a heavily involved Travis Kelsey, and then the veteran wide receivers, right? Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, the guys you added in the offseason. Now, Andre Sisco of the Jaguars, I think was on a personal mission back in week 10 because he absolutely annihilated a couple of those guys. Were they dirty hits or not? Eh, you know, well, I think the Juju Smith-Schuster hit was borderline. I think the Valdez-Scantling hit was just a good hit. But regardless, uh, has there been any conversation 
about the Cisco plays from that first game uh, out there this week, knowing the Jaguars are coming in? Well, you know, first of all, I'm a Syracuse guy, so I, I like me some Andre Cisco. But yes, there's been a lot of conversation, and no, none of it has been positive uh, here. I, I think. You know, the hits were on the line, but I think it's an impossible situation for defensive backs. So I think most guys in that locker room, most guys in the league, even some fans would say, hey, I, I don't know how you can possibly play DB back there as quick as everybody is, you know, and, and hit this, you know, strike zone when receivers are lowering their heads, all those things. I, I think you could get to where you're like, wow, we didn't like it, but we're okay with it. It was the celebrating afterwards that I think made the hits negative in the minds of everybody there. And it's very well known in that locker room. In fact, uh, you know, that was a game that I, I think was probably one of the, the angriest the, the locker room has been uh, after a game. You know, they win most games around here, so they're usually pretty jovial, but they were really upset uh, about that. And, and so if I were Andre Cisco and this game starts to get out of hand either way uh, and there's a change of direction, I'd have my head on a swivel because I, I think there'll be people – listen, Andy Reid never wants to give up anything – uh, he never wants to have a penalty, but I, I, I think, you know, police your own. I, I would say that if there is any any truth to that, and I believe there is, uh, if there is an opportunity to, to, to get a hit, he's going to get it. You know, it's a fascinating matchup. You mentioned Andy Reid, and look, Andy Reid and Doug Peterson, obviously the teacher versus the student. Uh, some of the things Doug Peterson does with his offense, you can see how maybe he learned that from an Andy Reid. And so the back and forth, the friendship, they know each other, but obviously it's all uh, it's all ball this week. What do you think that dynamic will be like? And is there an advantage either way for Reed the teacher or Peterson the student as they go at it for the second time here in about ten weeks? You know, I mean, history tells us uh, that you know Andy Reed gets the better of his assistants. Now, I think there's some built-in advantages. A lot of times, you know, when guys leave, they're going to take over bad teams. You're usually not replacing your coach that just won the Super Bowl. You're replacing a program that didn't work, and so you're having to build things up. And do they have a quarterback in place? You know, I mean, what would Steve Spagnuolo have been had he you know taken over teams that 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 had quarterbacks? I don't know. He'd have been better. You know, I mean, it's it's not always a perfect scenario. This one's a little bit more of a fair fight. Trevor Lawrence is a one-one quarterback that uh, is gaining experience, has all the physical attributes you want. Uh, they spent a lot of money in the offseason to shore up a lot of holes. They've been picking at the top of the draft for several years now. There's good talent on this team. Patrick Mahomes spent a lot of time complimenting the talent of the Jaguars yesterday at his time at the uh, podium. And so, you know, I, I think this is a fairer fight than what you usually see. But I think the key that Andy Reid's um, – you know, protégés take with them is his his 12-month calendar. His 12-month calendar, his 18-week calendar, and his seven-day calendar. I, I don't think anybody's more prepared uh, than Andy Reid. You know, the Chiefs went the first, I think, six weeks, maybe it was even seven, but I think it was the first six weeks without playing a game at the same time. Like, they literally play, like, every time slot except for going over to Europe. And Andy Reid just rolls along. I mean, he's been around so long, has so much experience, and he's figured out what does and doesn't work. And I think that's why his assistants are so much better than Belichick assistants, is there is an overall game plan that you can put in place. And Doug Peterson has that. But I think Doug Peterson proved with the Eagles – He's probably the brightest mind that they've had. I mean, he won a Super Bowl, and he didn't do it with a franchise quarterback. He did it with a backup quarterback that hasn't been able to stick anywhere else, right? And, and he was winning and had a guy headed towards an MVP that's been given up for dead ever since he wasn't there and Carson Wentz. So, you know, Doug Peterson's the best of the bunch. I, I, there's no doubt about it. He's the only one that's won a championship, even though there has been a lot of success. And maybe Sean McDermott will add his name to that uh, on the Andy Reid coaching tree. 
But I, I think Andy Reid is still the best at play design. He's still got the best quarterback, and, and that, that gives him an advantage. That's, that's why they're a double, you know, an eight-point favorite in this game. I'm not, I'm not splitting an atom here telling you this. But I do think there are, are still Andy Reid's ability to continue to evolve and progress. You lose all that when you leave him. Now you've got to do that yourself. And Doug Peterson's a, a fine offensive mind and was certainly – and you and I talked about it. I thought it was an underrated hire and the best hire – of the, of the cycle last year, but I think I'd still give the edge to Andy Reid until, uh, you know, if you want to be the man, beat the man. And that's what Doug Peterson gets the chance to do this week. Seren, as we begin to wrap up, Andy Reid's not getting any younger. Travis Kelsey is not getting any younger. Is there a little bit of pressure on the Chiefs to to maybe put some, some rings together, knowing that, you know, the window of opportunity may not be as open uh, in a couple of years as it is right now? Well, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Travis Kelsey is ageless. Um, he, I mean, he's at a he's at a point where he should be on the downslope. The answer is yes, there should be. Uh, at some point, age usually is not something that that eases in. You usually one off season, you just can't get it going again, or the you get hurt one year and you just can't get healthy. And Kelsey's avoided that, and that, that's going to hurt. But I think we saw, and I think the fans have been empowered. There are a lot of fans, and listen, I got word that Tyree Kill probably wasn't going to be back last year, and I would talk about that. We we do a Chiefs podcast, me and Jeff Chidi and Eric Eager, and and we would talk about that we didn't think he was going to be back and fans would freak out and you know they said we're idiots and whatever it takes to pay him you got to do it and the writing was on the wall that he was going to go the fact that he has left much to the consternation of most of the fan base and the Chiefs offense has technically statistically gotten better I I won't tell you they've got that same kind of explosion or home run threat Uh, every team is better with Tyreek Hill than they'd be without him but the fact that they've been able to overcome that has eased the fears of a lot of people the only thing you know, and Andy Reid will, will probably coach until his health says he can't. So I don't think there's any threat of him leaving. There's no like, well, if they win the Super Bowl this year, will he be back? Yes, he'll be back as long as he can physically do it. Um, I think the one thing that was maybe the wake-up call was when the AFC quarterback ages were listed off this year in the playoffs, and the oldest one was Patrick Mahomes. Now, he's only 27, and nobody's worried about him retiring next year or the year after or anything like that. But it was a wake-up call that he's not the young gun anymore, right? He's, he's the established vet, and they need to pile up as many trophies as they can right now because he's in the prime. He's no longer – you know, that's not ahead of him. That is now. And so there's just a little bit of what you're talking about, but really not much. Seren, final question. Now, I was on your show earlier this week, and I'm curious the fans' thoughts on the Jaguars coming in on, on Saturday. What is the Kansas City point of view about this football game? You know, I, I think the expectation is that the, the Chiefs are going to win and they're going to win decidedly. Uh, there is a feeling, and you know, and I know talking to you that, and, and I get why Jags fans would say, "Hey, we missed a couple of field goals. You know, we punted on a first drive after getting an onside kick. We probably should have gone for it there." I think Doug Peterson will go for it in that situation uh, this time if he's presented it. But the Chiefs fans really look at it, three, three turnovers uh, for Patrick Mahomes. That doesn't happen, right? That's, that's not normal. Uh, there were a number of different things. You know, a fumble uh, on a kick return, uh, that usually doesn't happen. Although they've had a lot of problems with special teams, it's been a really big problem. But they feel like it's, that's supposed to get corrected, right? So even though I think if you're the Jags, I see a reason why you'd say, hey, we, we can do better than that. We, we should have done better than that last time. But I can tell you in Kansas City, the fan expectation is that that game should have been a blowout. Uh, there's a feeling that maybe Andy Reid did his old pal a solid and let up off the gas, which he does a lot, but maybe took it easy on Doug Peterson in the second half. The expectation is that the Chiefs will win. They will cover. 
They will win big. And, and the threat, if there's anything that I'd get excited about as a Jaguar fan, the conversation is all about Bengals and Bills on the other side. Those are the teams that have really been their bugaboo. And I think there is, even though it's the playoffs, uh, a small potential for a look ahead here for the Chiefs. Seren Petro, Sports Radio 810 in Kansas City. Seren, always appreciate the time. My friend, thank you as always. I know there's a lot of Jaguar fans heading out to Kansas City, so uh, we would certainly appreciate the hospitality, and we'll talk again soon, bud. We will take care of them. We're known as being a pretty good fan base for bringing folks to town. Tell them to all go hit uh, Joe's Kansas City Barbecue. They will take care of them in a big, big way. Best barbecue in KC, which, as we know, that's the best barbecue in the world. So the best of the best. Uh, hit them up. Those guys will take care of them. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Chiefs, Saturday at 430. You'll, of course, hear the game right here on 1010XL. The man that will be calling the game is Frank Frangie. You hear him every afternoon on the Frangie Show, and he's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Frank, how we doing, man? Oh, Hack, I'm doing great, brother. These are good times. We've had too many bad times, right? So I think uh, I think the city's on fire. I think uh, I think we're all kind of jacked up uh, these days. Frank, what has this ride been like for you and Baselli and Lagerman? Everybody's been watching the videos. Boy, I hear your voice on inside the NFL and Sports Center almost every morning. It's been quite the ride here over the last two months. Yeah, I'm kind of tired of me, Hack. I, I, I get it. I get it. The, uh, it, it it's been great. It, it's Listen, for Jeff and Tony, two guys who played here and love this franchise more than anything, and they've been in the mountaintop, man. These are two uh, first-round draft picks, and Tony, of course, is a Hall of Famer, so it's been glorious for them. And for me, I'm born and raised here, and, and watching this thing and certainly these last nine years, being able to call the game, which is – Honestly, Hacker, the greatest assignment of my career, and I've done this a long time. So it's been pretty awesome. I mean, it, this has been an awesome run for all of us. But I think what I enjoy more than any of it, I'm happy for Shad. I'm happy for Mark Lamping, those and those who've worked so hard to get to this thing. But I think what I'm happy about is the fans. You know this. Fans that grew up, like you probably grew up, Jaguar fans and waited and waited. And now they get the glory that all these other teams have gotten. And I know it's not the only time it happened in 17, but it wasn't sustainable they were okay in 07, but it wasn't sustainable. Uh, this is going to be this way for a while. So I'm thrilled. It's been a blast, and I can't wait to call the next one. The play-by-play voice of the Jaguars, Frank Frangi, here with us on Hacker After Dark. Frank, you are very close to this team, obviously. Um, they were 3-7 and seven on Thanksgiving. 3-7 and seven on Thanksgiving. And now they're playing in the AFC Divisional Playoff. How did we get here? How, how did this happen? I think it started way before Thanksgiving, Hack. I think it started when Doug Peterson got the job. I think we his first team meeting, it's going to sound corny, but it's my honest answer to your question. Uh, I think his very first team meeting, he realized it was a team that after everything that happened last year under Urban, but not just that, the disappointment of years gone by, that he had a re-earned trust. And I think he let them know that the way it was last year is not the way it's going to be. And the way we're going to do it is, is more professional, more respectful. And, and, and this is – forget everything you've known in the past. Forget all the successes you haven't had in the past. This is going to be different. And I think that's when it started. And it sounds corny, but I do believe that. And I think it, it persisted through training camp. And when you have that trust in each other and when you really trust your head guy, then everything's okay even when adversity strikes. I remember now that three and seven – other than the Lions game, heck, they were in every game, man. They were in every game. You could tell. Uh, you are what your record says you are. That's what Bill Parcells said one time. 
except when you're not. You know what I mean? And and I don't and I'm not sure that's they weren't a three and seven team. You could see it, you could feel it. Every game down to the wire, big leads. You knew it was going to turn. Now, did I think it was going to turn that dramatically? Probably not. But to your question, I think the reason it happened is they were built differently. They believed differently. And when the light came on for them, it was going to be pretty special. And I think that's what's happened. You know, this sounds juvenile to, to say, but in talking about Doug Peterson, Frank, I cannot tell you how refreshing it is to have a coach draw up schemes where guys are actually open and can get yardage after the catch. There are legit yeah. running lanes uh, through the offensive line. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what we had here in Jacksonville over the better part of the last 10 to 15 years, but what we've seen this year alone looks completely and totally different. Yeah, that's a great point. I talk all about the culture and how he's earned their trust. He's also a really good coach, isn't he? He's also a really good football coach, and he's, he's the best play caller I've ever been around at this level. He really has. I said the same thing about Steve Spurrier at the college level, best I've ever seen at that level. Doug Peterson's the best play caller I've ever been around at this level. He always seems to have an answer. And here's what else happens, too. And people wanted to beat, or what else has happened. Hacker, everybody wanted to beat up Trent Balky. Nobody liked Balky. Well, you look back at the guys he's brought here. Okay, you look back at Evan Ingram, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, uh, Foye Aluakon, Rayshon Jenkins the year before. Uh, you look at the people, at Roy Robertson Harris the year before. You look at the people, Brandon Sheriff this year. You look at the people he's brought in. You ever notice that they're all good players? I, I don't mean they just start because you have to have somebody to start. But that seven or eight guys, hack I just ran off, are all good players. All right, so so he brought in good players. Doug's done a good job of coaching those players. This isn't an accident. When you make the elite eight of the NFL, which is where they are right now, it's not an accident. You had to bring in good players, and you had to have the right guy coaching them. That really is what's happened to you. Yeah, Frank, I think the free agents bulk he's brought in, and you look at the draft picks with guys yep. like Luke Fortner, Walker Little, Andre Sisco. Tyson Campbell, you can go on down the line. I thought it was uh, terribly unfair to Balky last year. He was the last guy in the room. He was the last guy associated with anything to do with Caldwell or Marone or obviously Urban. So all the venom had to go somewhere. So it went to Balky. But you see the emotion, Frank, that Trent Balky has had with the win over the Titans and last week over the Chargers. It's hard not to feel good for that guy right now. No question. And, and you know what? He's going to be here a long time. I think Doug's going to be here a long time. And here's the beauty of this thing. Heck, I know you know this. I really believe in all my heart this is sustainable. This isn't This isn't one and done. This is Or two or three and done. I can tell you this, and you know this, and I've said this a thousand times on my show. When you get, In this league, when you get coaching quarterback figured out, you go to Super Bowls. There's no exceptions. Okay, uh, Belichick and Brady, the ultimate example. Sean Payton and and Drew Brees, Tony Dungy and Peyton Manning, uh, uh, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I can go on and on. When you get, I mean, Chuck Nolan, Terry Bradshaw 100 years ago, Vince Lombardi and Bart Starr 100 years ago, it's never changed. When you get coach and quarterback figured out that in this league, uh, that doesn't mean the left guard and the punter aren't important, all right? They're all important. But when you get head coach and quarterback really figured out, you go to Super Bowls. That's, that's what we, we've all seen it. And they've got head coach and quarterback figured out. And, heck, they're going to go to some Super Bowls. It's, but I don't know if they're going to Super Bowl this year. It's a big challenge with Kansas City. I don't know if it's next year. But they're going to Super Bowls as long as those two guys stay here and continue to grow together. I believe that in all my heart, Hack. I really do. A couple of more for the voice of the Jaguars, Frank Frangie. Of course, you get him every afternoon here on the Frangie Show on 1010XL. Frank, you were in the booth in 2017 for that run. You're obviously in the booth for this year. Uh, differences, similarities. Compare and contrast the two. Yeah, it's a great question. I uh, 
the the similarities are they had a lot of both teams had a lot of good players. Okay, there there's no denying the fact that the the defensive players on that team were really good. Leonard Fournette was a really good rookie running back. The line gave him some big holes. They had a lot of good players on that team. And, and I'm not trying to dismiss Blake Bortles. He did a great job, but he was more of a manager and, and made plays in an unorthodox way. But they had a lot of good players. This team's got a lot of good players. That's the similarity. The difference is I think the leadership is better with this group. Um, I, I really believe – I think the in-locker room leadership is better. The culture is better. There's no divas. There's nobody that you're going to have to worry about uh, what the story is going on off the field this is a really good group. I mean, think about that, Hack. Have you heard anything with this group, anything off the field, any, any any rumors, any stories, any police reports, any arguments, anybody stomping out of a locker room? Think about that. Nothing with this group. It is a really good group of really good people who believe in each other, and that's sustainable. So I would say the biggest difference for me, both teams had a lot of good players. This team's better offensively. That team is better defensively. We all know that. But I think this one's sustainable, and it's going to be this way for a long time. Frank, Trevor Lawrence always talks about the London game and, and the struggles against Denver and how that was really the turning point. And certainly, statistically, <clears throat> it's backed up. He has been nothing short of dynamic after London. Is that how you see it? Was there something that switched on for Trevor after the London game? Absolutely, there was. And let me and let me take you behind the scenes in my mind about this, Okay. So on the interception in London, where he when at first and goal to one, that's the play everybody talked about. Remember that attack? That's the play, right? First and goal to one, he rolls to the right and throws the interception in the back of the end zone. Well, here's the way it works. On that play, there's one read. Christian Kirk at the pylon. Every team in the league runs it. If it's not there, throw it in the stand. And a second and goal from the one. And then you run it a few times. That's the only read. There's not a check down. There's not a progression. You don't go to your second or your third receivers. The problem, and, 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 and Trevor knew that. He's a good guy. He listens. But Hacker, he's been so successful his entire life, from Cartersville High to Clemson. It, his, his skills are so extreme. His arm is so good. His instincts are so good that he's always gotten away with doing something that the play doesn't call for. You with me on that? He's always gotten away with, let me stick it in there, even though I know the play is to throw it away. I've always gotten away with doing something you're not supposed to do. And he's tried it a few times. On that play, the plays to throw it away. He said, Doc, I've always gotten away with it. Tried to stick it in the back of the end zone. It got picked off. I think that was the moment he realized, you know, these guys are really good here. <laughs> these NFL guys are fast. My coach is really good. When he says the only play is to throw it away, you got to throw it away. And I think that's when finally, not that he was stubborn because he's a wonderful kid, but when you've had success your entire career at doing things above the X's and O's and going against the, the plan because you're so good you can go against the plan, I think that was the moment, Hack, when he realized, you know what, don't go against the plan. Do, do it the way the plan calls for you to do it. And I think when he did that, I think the light went on. I said that. I said, you know what, I'll bet you that's the last time something like that happened, and it was the last time something like that happened. He's been marvelous. Final moments here with Frank Frangie. Frank, you're making the trip to Kansas City, the 4.30 Saturday afternoon broadcast. Of course, you'll hear it right here on 1010XL with you alongside Jeff Lagerman, Tony Baselli, and Bucky Brooks there on the sideline. Give us a feel for Arrowhead. You were there in November. We've heard all about the atmosphere. For those of us that have never been to Arrowhead, what is the type of environment the Jaguars will be walking into. Think Florida, Tennessee, heck. How about that? Think Florida, Tennessee. Think Alabama, Auburn. It's a college setting. I, I, as you know, 
I did college games forever before I did pro games. So I've seen both. NFL settings aren't like college settings. They just don't. They just don't tend to feel that way. This will be like a college. Now the Jags have the last two weeks. This will feel like a college setting. They'll be tailgating in that 30 degree weather about eight in the morning, like they do at the college games. They'll 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 pack the place. It's got a little suburban feel to it. It's not downtown like a lot of these stadiums are. So it, it's kind of out in the suburbs, like like it has the feel to some of these college games. It'll be crazy. It'll be loud as heck. And uh, but the Jags are ready for that. I'm not worried about the setting being too big. It really helps that they played there this year, Hacker. It helps that they they've been in that locker room. They've they've walked out the tunnel. They've 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 heard the taunts from the, the Chiefs fans before. So nothing will be new to them. It really, really helps that they've gone through the I mean, the same airport, flying in, the same city, the whole bit. So I think it helps that. The biggest problem with this game isn't the atmosphere, even though the atmosphere is wonderful and great and Kansas City should be applauded for being able to create that. The problem is the football team. It's a track meet. You've got to score with them. The most important thing, and Doug Peterson said it all week, you get behind 17-3 to to this game, the guys, the game's over because they're not going to stop scoring. The Chargers quit scoring. The Chargers had 27 points with four minutes left in the half, and they finished with 30. The Chiefs aren't going to stop scoring. So you have to score with them. You can try and stop them. You can get creative defensively. But the bottom line is the Jags are going to have to score in the 30s to win the game. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I know there were some low-scoring games early in the year for the Chiefs, but the Jags got to get to 30, and I think that's the whole key to the game. Frank, final question, and Doug Peterson even addressed this earlier this week. It's something that you've talked about on your show. I've talked about here on Hacker After Dark. It certainly has been a talking point. Two and six, three and seven, even four and eight. The season appeared to be over. And now here we are on January, what is it, 19th, they're going to play a game on January 21st, by the way, five years to the day that Miles Jack wasn't down in Foxborough, mm, if you're into superstitions. But they're <laughs> still playing. They're one of the last eight. Is it house money at this point? No matter what happens in Kansas City within reason, the season's already an unbelievable success. Or is that not the correct mindset to have if you're a Jaguar fan heading into Saturday? Well, if you're a player and a coach, it's not the right mindset. It, if you're a player and a coach, you practice this thing as if the wor- everything in the world matters. Okay, this thing matters. It's not house money. You're trying to win. You're, you're, there's eight. You don't get this far very often. There's eight teams left. You're in the top 25 percent. You're in the elite eight. You're one win away from the final four. So you can't treat it like it's house money. And I don't think you can go about it that way. Having said that, yes, it's house money. That no matter what happens in that game. This has been an extraordinarily successful season, no matter what happens on Saturday. When, if, they, if they win and move on, if they get blasted and come home or anything in between, Hacker, they won 10 games. They were the worst team in the league. When you pick first, you're the worst team in the league. When you pick first two years in a row, you're really the worst team in the league. They've been, they were the worst team in the league. They were the most dysfunctional team in the league. And they won 10 games and got to the Elite Eight. So nothing that happens on Saturday can ruin this season. So in that regard, it's house money, but I can promise you in that locker room in those coaches meetings, no one thinks about it that way. What they're thinking about is beating the chiefs and getting to the AFC championship game for you and me house money for them. No way. Frank Frangie, you get him every afternoon on the Frangie show and you will hear his call Saturday, four 30 Jaguars and chiefs right here on 10, 10 XL. Frank, have a great call Saturday. We'll be listening brother and safe travels. All right, Hack. I appreciate it, bro. Take care, man. And thank you to Frank Frangie, the voice of the Jacksonville Jaguars, for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Of course, you hear Frank every afternoon here 
on 1010XL, on the Franzi Show, and he along with Jeff Lagerman, Tony Baselli, Bucky Brooks on the sideline. It has been awesome hearing them call all these games and this great run, this unbelievable run the Jaguars have been on now for the last two months. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been another very busy edition of Hacker After Dark as we are now well inside of 48 hours, Saturday, 4.30, the Jaguars and the Chiefs at Arrowhead in Kansas City in the AFC Divisional Playoff. Again, thank you to Frank Frangi. Thank you to Sorin Petro, Sports Radio 810 out in the Kansas City area. He's kind of our guy out there when it comes to the Chiefs. Always enjoy Sorin's perspective when the Jaguars and the Chiefs get together. Again, Sorin Petro, Sports Radio 810. And my man Leon Searcy, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Year him every day on XL Primetime. And he's always kind enough to join us weekly here on Hacker After Dark. A little bit of a change-up tomorrow. We're a little earlier than normal because of all the traveling. We will be on 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock tomorrow night on a Friday. So Hacker After Dark from 6 to 8 as we close out the week. And we got a great lineup of guests coming your way again tomorrow night. Dylan Denmark was your producer this evening. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green and Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Thursday night with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL at 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Thursday and we will do it all over again on a Friday beginning at 6 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.